Chapter 5, Part 1 of The Life of Clara Barton, Volume 2, by William Barton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5, Part 1 The Years of Sickness and Recovery, 1873 to 1880. Clara Barton came back from Europe wearing the jewel of the Red Cross presented to her by Queen Natalie of Serbia. She was the only person in America who then, or for nine years thereafter, wore the Red Cross. She was the sole person in the United States who, by service or any form of official recognition, was entitled to that decoration. She also wore the Iron Cross of Merit, presented to her by the Emperor and Empress of Germany. She wore a Gold Cross of Remembrance, presented to her by the Grand Duke and Duchess of Baden, and from Louise, the Grand Duchess, she wore, and prized beyond all wealth, a magnificent amethyst, said to have been the finest amethyst in this country. From poor, defeated France, she wore no official decoration, but she brought the love and gratitude of innumerable people there to whom she had ministered. On her return to America, she went to her old home in Washington, on Pennsylvania Avenue and Capitol Hill the home she had purchased before leaving but occupied so short a time before her nervous breakdown but she was not permitted to live there very long because the corner was too noisy her physician dr thompson commanded her to live elsewhere the doctor assigned her her limits jail limits she called them she might live somewhere between seventh and sixteenth streets and on the farther side of new york avenue she established herself at the corner of fourteenth and f her letters to her nieces in this period are cheerful but written under the burden of physical pain and nerve fatigue on may twenty third she received word that her sister sarah mrs vester vassal was fatally ill though far from well she hastened to massachusetts arriving in the evening to find that her sister had died that morning the shock of her sister's death coming as it did when her own health was so precarious brought back her old trouble with full force for several months she remained in oxford and worcester and then went to north grafton new england village it was called where her relatives the learned family had a country home there she took a house and remained for a considerable time attended by minnie kupfer who had served with her in the franco-prussian war and like antoinette margot had followed her to this country her health varied with the season and with other conditions not all of them easy to determine there were times when she had hard chills followed by dripping sweats there were weeks when she had no strength even to lift her head 
There were bright days also, when she moved about with some approach to health. What was the real nature of Clara Barton's illness during this long period of suffering? Material is not lacking for a fairly accurate diagnosis. Having exhausted the resources of local physicians, she entered into correspondence with a series of doctors, each of whom professed to be able to bring her permanent relief. Some of these called for very little information about her condition. Their remedies were supposed to cure almost anything but others sent long lists of questions calling for full and minute replies copies of these questions and of her answers she preserved from her replies it would appear that there was hardly a bodily function which was not disturbed she was subject to hard colds to severe headaches a weak back digestive trouble and to periodic attacks of camp diarrhea from which so many soldiers suffered for so many years after the war this condition alternating with stubborn constipation but it is evident as one reads critically these pathetic catechisms that she had after all a basis of sound physical health her careful answers to these questions do not appear to indicate a single organic disease. She had yet to learn that her back, which she thought so weak, was really remarkably strong, and that her head had little need to ache when her eyes were not overstrained, and her digestion need not be seriously disturbed if her nerves were not worn and shattered the most serious symptom that clara barton had through all these years was a temperament abnormally sensitive she was capable of enduring almost any possible physical or nervous strain and of standing up under it well but when the strain was over and she met some trivial exhibition of ingratitude some captious and wholly negligible criticism, some petulant and despicable bit of opposition, her nervous energy gave way with a sudden collapse. Her voice failed, her eyes failed. Whatever organ was weakest gave way first, and she went to pieces like the deacon's one-hoss shay to one who reads those letters at this distance it seems a thousand pities that some one whose scientific judgment she could trust did not say to her you are organically sound there is no good reason why you should be sick you are tired and that is not surprising and you have magnified innumerable foolish little matters of irritation forget them believe that you are well half your years are yet before you the better and happier and far the more useful half of your life get out in the fresh air live simply throw medicine away and you can be strong again 
In an undated letter written in the early spring of 1876, she gives to Mr. Dwight an account of her experience since her return to America. Undated, 1876, early spring. Dear Mr. Dwight, I am at New England Village. Some good angel must have inspired you to write me. I was so anxious to hear of you, and only my physical weakness has kept me from commencing a search for you long ago. I had somewhat to say to you, as you know, and as soon as I am strong enough shall find a way to say it. Yes, it is true I am at New England Village, and have been since last April. The world has not treated me badly in the last four years, but I could have better borne some bad treatment from others than all I have had to bear from myself. I have been an invalid most of the time. I grew very weak at Karlsruhe directly after Belfort, recovered a little, went to England in the spring of 72, kept about some months, but in October, broke down with a cough, became too ill to get off the island, was confined to my bed eight months. In June, 73, was able to get over to Paris and recovered sufficiently to come home in October. My cough had left me, but I was weak, and fearing its return, went to Washington as soon as I could for the winter, broke down again with prostration of the nervous system, if anyone knows what that is, which was deepened and nearly rendered fatal by the illness of my only sister in Worcester, whom I strove for months to reach, was finally brought to Worcester at the peril of my life on the 23rd of May, 74, arriving at 4 p.m. to find that she had died at six in the morning. I never saw her dead face even. It was one year from that time before I left the house again, and that to be removed here. I could not tell you the suffering, physical and mental, of that year, and I would not if I could. Only a small portion of the time could I stand alone, averaged less than two hours sleep and twenty-four for almost a year, could not write my name for over four months, and could not have a letter read to me or see my friends or scarcely my attendants. Little by little I have grown better, until now I am about my house, for I always keep house. I have for attendant and nurse and housekeeper Miss Kupfer, of Bern, Swiss, a friend I made there, and who came to me as soon as she heard of my illness here, a year or more ago, and who never leaves me. I am gaining slowly, though weak still, have had neither physician nor medical treatment for over a year. Nature does her work as best she knows how. What measure of strength she may ever give me back, I cannot know, probably not great. 
I suppose diseased nerve centers and worn-out systems are not likely to mend very firmly. But one day I shall want to see you, and you will let me do so, I think. If I am not able to go to Boston, you will come to see me, I believe, and when I see how it is likely to be with me, I shall write and tell you. Meantime, it would interest me just as deeply to know how the world has treated you in these last few years as it does you to hear of me. Can I not know something of you, and can I not send my most sincere and respectful regards to Mr. Jackson, whom I hope one day to see? while clara barton was touring new york state on her lecture tours she spoke at dansville new york and was entertained at the sanitarium popularly spoken of as the water cure on march sixteenth eighteen seventy six a lady from worcester who had been a patient at dansville called and spent the greater part of a day with her she told her that dansville was the place to go and get well miss barton had resumed her diary and she recorded that this miss adams seemed to her not an enthusiast but a calm sensible girl looks at things in the light of reason and common sense and i feel that i can take her reports without discount and her opinions on trust before many days she had practically determined to go to dansville and that place became her home for about ten years at first she lived in the sanitarium then she bought a home of her own she adopted the simple habits of life which there were inculcated little by little her strength returned until instead of being an invalid she was for her years a woman in remarkably good health with the return of health came back her determination to establish the american red cross and it was in dansville that the first local organization in america was established under that name how she secured the organization and official recognition we shall presently learn from her letters at this time, two may be selected, which give some account of the troubled years through which she had passed, and the great hope which she was now ardently cherishing. One of these was addressed to the public printer at Washington, whose services she remembered kindly, and with whom she hoped to have dealings. The other was to her cherished friend, the Grand Duchess Louise of Baden. Dansville, September 8, 1877. John D. DeFries, Esquire. Public Printer, Washington, D.C. Dear and esteemed sir, It occurs to me that it may not be entirely necessary to introduce myself to you, even after a lapse of almost a decade, you will not quite have forgotten that there was once a woman by the name of Clara Barton, who, in common with the rest of the moving world, gave you more or less trouble. However faint these traces remain in your memory, 
that cannot dim the brightness which gilds her recollection of the uncounted favors you so kindly and generously meted out to her in the hard busy days when she tried with little strength and less power to carry heavy burdens and accomplish hard things through all these years the grateful memory of these kindnesses has never waned and it so presses itself upon me that i cannot resist the desire to pick up my pen far away in this quiet nook of the country and tell you how glad i am and have been to know you are back again at your old post which you ought never to have left and how thankful i am to our good president for having recalled you my first impulse was to thank him directly but unfortunately he does not know of my existence and could never have found an excuse for my boldness but you my good and honored friend will excuse it and will not call it even bold that a hard-worked woman has remembered the strong kind hands that helped her on and after long years has ventured to speak of it physically these intervening years have not been easy years for me four of them with broken health and a wanderer in foreign lands two of them in the franco-prussian war and its devastations four more a helpless invalid in my own country and this year for the first once more on my feet walking about like other persons but up to the present never leaving my home even for a short journey i think of you all in that busy capital and wonder if it is true that i too was once a part of it and stood erect amid its jostling and excitement thank god he has given you strength to endure to the end lest i give a wrong impression let me add that it was physically only that i referred to my life as hard socially and pecuniarily it is and has been easy and beautiful i have all the world for friends and no unsatisfied wants no necessities no regrets except that i am not strong enough to do the work around me which the world needs to have done until now it has not in five long years dared ask of me the smallest service lately the european people have laid upon my hands an international matter pertaining to humanity for which it seems proper that i see the president if i should be able to go to washington for this purpose after his return would you think it probable i could see and speak with him i hope mr de Fries, my long letter has not been too great a burden to you if so let it console you that it is not without its uses for it is a great relief to me to have said a little of that which i wanted to say so much and i beg to remain with the highest esteem always gratefully your friend clara barton dansville livingston county new york may nineteenth eighteen seventy seven my dear grand duchess 
how shall i commence to write you after all these years of silence can it ever appear to you inexcusable will the generosity of your noble nature make you equal to the overlooking of an act which all the world less noble and generous than yourself would condemn as neglectful or forgetful but my preciously beloved friend if these thoughts have ever taken hold upon your mind and left their unpleasant shadow over the memory of your old-time friendship for me and led you to feel that not only republics but their people as well are ungrateful and that you are only too happy in being relieved of such as you have known if all these dark thoughts and shadows lay there in your memory of me to-day and i knew it and knew also that they could only be removed by a full portrayal on my part of all the days and years of weakness, illness, suffering, and affliction which have caused the silence, I should hesitate long before I brought the picture to you. Your active life and needed energies are not to be clogged and burdened by woes which do not belong to you and the tax upon your sympathies is great enough from those who feel that they look rightfully to you for sympathy and help. Then let me say as little as possible of all this, and pass on to other things, and that little is that during almost two years of the time since I last saw you in London, i have been not only too ill to write you but too weak to have heard read a letter from you if it had been sent to me you will understand from theory and i pray the great and good god that you may never know by experience what helplessness and suffering may follow in the train of utter prostration of the nervous system this was the misfortune that fell upon me directly upon my arrival in this country at the close of eighteen seventy three hastened and deepened by the death of my only sister whose life had been always dearer to me than my own it was only last year eighteen seventy six that i was able to leave my bed and learn to walk feebly about my room sometimes see a friend, write a letter, and read my letters. Then I was removed from my home in Massachusetts to this place, the largest and most noted water and rest cure in the country, where I have resided since, gradually regaining my strength and coming back to life a little, but whether to usefulness remains to be seen. I have done everything to surround myself with healthful and strength-giving influences. The climate is delicious, and I nearly live in the open air. Sleep, which in all years has been only a visitor, has come back to abide with me more constantly, and there is no night now in which it quite forsakes me. This was the great necessity, and I feel my strength returning under its blessed influence. My flesh is also returning, and I am regaining some power of endurance. 
so far as any usefulness to others is concerned, I can see in all these years of helplessness only entire loss, but to myself I hope they may not have been without their uses and benefits. Through them I have walked narrower and darker paths than ever before, and stood very close to the dark still river. I, I have pitched my tents and rested there, waited calmly, and sometimes I fear, looked longingly over on to its other restful and brighter shore. But its shadows have not alarmed, its waters have not terrified. God has stood very near, my trust in him has never faltered, and my faith has never wavered nor changed. I have known no fear, and if weakness, suffering, and inaction have made me more tender and thoughtful, it is well. If the silvery hair they have spread over temple and brow are a daily reminder that I have no longer the vigor of young strength, that too is well, and I will hope for added wisdom and gentler kindness. Now, my dear, this is all of me, but how is it with you and yours? For I have heard of you ill and suffering, and dared not ask more. I trust that is all past, and I should see only the bright, happy face that left its lovely picture on my memory. The noble husband, is he well? The beautiful children, I can scarcely picture them, for some of them are men and women now, and I never forget to pray God to keep and bless them all for the wife's and mother's sake. You will remember that the first great love in my heart for you carried me at one bound beyond all lines of courtly etiquette, blinded me to the positions and conditions of rank and royalty, and made me stupidly, awkwardly dumb to every titled phrase and courtly sentence. It closed and sealed my senses to all these, but opened them to the loving tender wife and mother the noble woman and the priceless friend i could not have spoken a word of flattery to you sooner than i could have put it in my prayer it could never have entered my thought to courtesy or bend the knee in your presence but i should have lain in the dust at your feet without knowing it if i had felt that it could serve you a strange, uncourtly friend you have in me, this far-away American woman, my child but a friend nevertheless. And now comes up that dread theme that first brought me to know you. War, dreadful war. My heart has stood still for weeks in anxiety, fear, and dread. Is Germany dear germany to be drawn into that terrible vortex are her mothers to give out their sons and her wives their husbands again so soon are the graves to be opened again almost before they are green and the wounds before they are healed are the fair fingers of her maidens again to ply the busy hours with bandages and lint, and the trembling grandmothers to labor again with shirts and socks? 
and you and yours who hold and guard the wheel of all are you to stand in jeopardy and watch in agony again so soon are these dreadful days i so well remember all to be lived over again i cannot yet believe it neither can i yet rid me of the fear which haunts me day and night constantly the question rises what can i do and my weakness answers back nothing nothing if i had the strength of ten years ago and the war opened upon you i should prepare myself and go not single-handed and alone as i was overtaken in eighteen seventy but i would make my arrangements with my people here for all material to work with select my assistance from the german and german-speaking populations here take my surgeons and nurses and go at once and ask you for a field of labor surely you and your good husband and father and mother would assign me one somewhere but it is all too late for this at the best i can only use my influence and the little strength i have at home as a means to this i have written our good friend dr appia of geneva to ask if any help from me would be desirable and to say that if it would be acceptable i would upon his writing me to that effect make the effort to establish an international organization in my own country for the collection and receipt of supplies which should work under the insignia of the red cross and forward through a headquarters which i would attempt to establish somewhere near or at new york thus would i try to bring the early and organized efforts of america into direct communication with the activities of europe and try for once to make our charities of some timely and real benefit which the great distance and want of proper organization has hitherto greatly hindered or nearly prevented our people are generous tender of heart and quick in their sympathies but they are busy and spread over a quarter of the globe they do not become aware of the necessities for assistance in other lands till great suffering exists and the general press brings it to their knowledge then they spring with a bound of sympathy and generosity and give without stint but their stream has no channel prepared for it to flow in and runs over and wastes so that little very little ever reaches the real scene of suffering and want for which it is so generously given if i can learn that it would be acceptable and that there can be established a direct cooperation between the charitable activities of america and europe and that europe desires it i shall do all in my power to organize the work early at once in america it is for this i have written dr appia to have him send me his request that i would do it that I may use it as a lever with our government to gain its sanction, protection, prestige, 
and cooperation so far as I can. I shall watch with all interest every movement, and I would be so grateful for any information that I might gain from European sources regarding the true condition of things. How glad I should be of any published work or matter, if any exists, which explains the working of your remarkable system of, or what we term, relief societies. I do not know where to send for this, but to you, who were the originator and head. If the condition of Europe renders it desirable, and I am strong enough to organize aid in America, every word of information on these points would be held priceless. I am gleaning all I can from such foreign papers as I can get. Both the German and French languages are familiarly used in my house. My amanuensis is Swiss, and speaks both natively, of course. The more I read, the more I fear what the next months may bring to you, to dear Germany and all of Europe, and the more I fear, the more anxious I am to help. Let us pray God the storm may pass, but if it must come, give us strength and wisdom to meet it well. I have long been the debtor of good Madame de Mensinger, and my next European letter will be to her, who I hope will forgive my delay. I was not able to answer her in time. To our dear Hannah I have not written in years, nor heard. I know the parent family is nearly gone, and that she has one of her own. I shall hope to hear of her some day, the precious child and dear Princess Wilhelm, who seems to me always to be a part of yourself, may I dare send my love through you to her. I remember once she graciously told me I might write her. I wonder if the privilege still exists or has time annulled it. I know she has had her griefs and that her precious mother has gone home. All that happens to you there in that beloved court circle is reflected and felt here in my distant home as if it were a part of it. I joy in your prosperity and sorrow for your griefs as if in some way they belong to me or mine. I could not if I attempted to divest myself of this interest." I even could not help feeling a solicitous interest in all that pertained to Prince Alexis and his recent visit to my country, and rejoiced with a kind of motherly pride in all the good impressions he made, and felt that I ought to see him, because he was of your house, and the home cousin of dear Princess Wilhelm. He the gallant princely man would have laughed at the idea of a plain unpretending american woman cherishing a family pride in him and keeping a motherly watchfulness for his welfare but your love and kindness to me when a stranger in your country won my gratitude and love for ever for all that pertains to you I have followed the late journeying and visits of your noble father with wonder and joy for his continued vigor. 
I so well remember the tender care and love that dwelt in my heart for my honored father when fourscore winters had whitened his locks and bared his brow. Yet his firm marching step told not more than fifty summers, and his eye was still clear and his voice strong. But he left me, the brave old soldier. I always regret that I never saw your honored mother, and it was my purpose not to have left Europe without this distinguished pleasure. But her precious gift, the beautiful cross, is the chiefest among my treasures, lying always beside yours. You cannot conceive, I am sure, how precious those gifts are to me. And do you recollect the sweet picture of yourself you once sent me for a Christmas gift? It has comforted me every day through all these suffering years, always near my bed. It was the first to greet me in the morning, and now, in these days of better strength and activity, it is no less the admiration of my friends than it has been the companion of my weakness. But I must somewhere make an end to this seemingly endless letter, and with one more thought I will. May I entreat you that, if disturbances and war come upon you, and there arises any contingency, any want, any point upon which it may seem that I could, being here, be of the smallest or largest use to you, or your people, you will not hesitate a moment in making any use of me that you possibly can. Consult with me upon any plan, that it shall be strictly confidential, I need not add, and it will be always possible for me to confer directly with the head or heads of our government, and so far as I can, I will influence our people to any charitable activities or movements which might be desired and which you kindly suggest to me. How glad I should be to feel myself once more working with you, that I was perhaps helping you a little, and the American people would be glad, for you are no stranger to them, and I want them to know you better still. I pray you let your grateful and loving friend, Clara Barton. What she found at Dansville that restored her health is shown in some of her home letters. She found congenial society, wholesome and simple food, and an atmosphere that believed health to be possible. The world is moderately full of sick and half-sick people who could be well if they knew how, and would believe that they were well. She grew strong enough for short tours to neighboring cities. She became a star performer in the evening entertainments in the sanitarium, reciting poetry, sometimes writing a poem for a special occasion, and after a time giving a short lecture about her experiences abroad. A few of her letters will show her state of health and of mind. There was nothing miraculous or sudden about her recovery. She had periods of depression and times of weakness, but she gained strength and gained it permanently, and was able to take up the greatest work of her life 
and carry it through triumphantly. End of chapter 5, part 1